multiple phones here trying to juggle different things. share my thoughts and perspectives on what I have been going through um, in my fight against cancer. It's not really structured as I started working through things. I ended up not really structuring it as a typical sermon per se, and I don't think there's necessarily anything deeply theological in what I'm going to talk about this, storm, this morning, but it's really been to just express my experience along the way as I go through this. But my hope is that whatever you, uh, struggle you, you might find yourself in right now, that you can take encouragement this morning in two things as I share. First of all, that you're not alone, that you have a kindred spirit on your particular mountain climb as well. And secondly, the testimony of God's grace and love, that he desires to walk alongside and suffer. Uh, he, he desires to walk alongside you and, he, and as well as suffer in your suffering as well. All right, here we go. Some people age gracefully, others fight it, and I have always been in the fighter's camp. Studies show that most people, as they, age, as they age, listen to music that they love during school and tend to rarely keep up with new music. In contrast, I've always worked to, to stay current, usually trading music with my boys and enjoying similar bands as, as they do. I'm guessing that I'm not the typical demographic that loves bleachers, Young the Giant, or churches. Meanwhile, there's people like David, stuck in the 60s and 70s. With good <laughs> Sorry, David, had to bring that in. Anyway, in my professional life, I'm determined not to date myself. I'm constantly diving in and learning new application and, and web technologies, making sure I stay relevant in an industry that not only changes year in, year out, it's really month, monthly in, monthly out. I still have many physical challenges that I'm vowing to do, full marathon next year, and one, one more cross-country trip, bike trip. While some people my age look forward to becoming a grandparent, I've really never wanted to talk about that. Unfortunately, <laughs> my kids have cooperated so far. <laughs> But this age-old mission to stay younger got much harder for me over the past year. Not only was I maybe starting to feel a little older, but I was reaching that most dreaded of birthdays, turning 50. And we started looking at, looking at where I was in life. And that 50, hitting that 50-year uh, mark nagged me throughout 2016. Here's one picture. Chatham, you'll recognize this. It brought it home. So Chatham and I were at a Deer Hunter concert last year. And uh, we got front row, general mission, we got in the very front row. And here's a, it's a picture of the whole, the whole crowd that the band took. I'm the one guy over 40, front and center in there, among a sea of teens and 20-somethings. 
And uh, so just kind of realize where I'm at. Well, two weeks before the, skipping ahead now, skip, two weeks before the cancer crisis began, I, I, be, I had a heart-to-heart con- heart heart conversation with Kim in which I opened up about my frustration with life at the time. On the one hand, Kim and I had never been stronger as a couple, but on the other hand, so many other aspects of my life, I was deeply frustrated. While I loved my job, I secretly felt like the old man, being at least 10 years older than others in my office uh, in, in the company. It was such a stark contrast to much of my professional life when I was always the young, overachie- overachieving upstart. In fact, last year on the side, I launched a startup with one of my former Silicon Valley colleagues named Risley, in which we, it was designed to create uh, apps for the Apple Watch. My vision was if we could be successful, then perhaps I could revisit those glory days of Silicon Valley uh, startup once again. On the home front, I loved our house and where we live in Princeton, but I was kind of feeling locked in. I found myself longing for simpler times in our lives when if we wanted to, we could just pick up and move at a moment's notice around the country. In fact, that's exactly what we did early on in our marriage. We started Indiana, two years later, moved to Virginia, two years later, moved to Colorado, two years later, moved back to Indiana, two years later, moved to Massachusetts, three or four years later, moved to California, and then two years later, or three years later, moved back to Massachusetts, where we've been since. I found myself yearning to travel to faraway places and do those bucket list items that Kim and I have always wanted to do, but feeling incapable of making those dreams happen, weighed down by the burden of paying off her boys' college tuition for years to come. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> for much of my life, I never let anxiety get the better of me, giving my burdens to God through prayer. However, due to the compounded weight of all these things that were kind of going on and re- that I was wrestling with, I found myself stressing out like never before and seemingly unable to trust God with them for the first time. That's why part of the reason when I picked up running last year and set a goal for a half marathon, I became totally fixated on running. For much of my life, it seemed like I, I felt like a failure. But there was, here was one activity that I could do and actually experience achievement and personal victory. And so I really clung to that last year. In short, when I look forward to life after 50, life was looking bleak. I felt like I was growing old. I felt like I was locked in. I felt like somehow the big dreams that I had in life were passing by. I felt very much like George Bailey. In the classic Frank Capper film, It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart stars as George Bailey, a small-time banker, or a small-town banker, who unexpectedly finds himself trapped in the middle of a major life crisis. Desperate in believing he has no way out, George contemplates jumping off a bridge on Christmas Eve, thinking that everyone in his life would be better better off without him.
Well, to be clear, I was not literally on the edge of a bridge, but at the same time, I felt that same sense of helplessness, desperation, and hopelessness that, that George felt in the movie. Well, in the film, an angel, which he just saw there, Clarence, is sent from heaven to show George what life would have been like if he had never existed. And through this experience, George comes to realize not only the impact that he had on his family, friends, and the entire town, but also how wonderfully blessed his life was, even in the midst of his desperate crisis. In my case, the angel sent from heaven was, ironically enough, cancer. We were told of the news on February 2nd by a cocky, tactless, surgical resident who described my situation in a in, a mono, in an emotionless, factual manner, much like giving a lecture in front of a group of students instead of just talking to Kim, Justice, and myself. I vividly remember that he started talking about the situation, and it sounds like a cliche, but my, my life was literally flashing before my eyes. It felt like a film montage when I, as I think back about it now. Remembrance of the distance past, thinking about the kids growing up, recent events, future stuff that Kim and I wanted to do, and in the end, picturing my gravestone. That shock lingered for hours, but something, as time went on during that day, began to happen. The panic and shock began to subside, and something else very radical happened inside of me. My outlook on my life fundamentally, and I would say permanently changed. I can't fully articulate how God changed my psyche in a brief whirlwind in the hospital room on that day. And again, it sounds hor horribly cliche, but I realize more than ever that how precious life is and how every day, even when it is off an awful day, is a blessing. Suddenly the idea of growing older no longer resembled a prison sentence. It was a rare privilege that I wanted to be part of as well. I wanted to grow old with Kim. I wanted to do those bucket list things that we can do and dream with her about those things that we can't. And I want to even eventually become a grandfather. Even the burdens and the very real obligations that I have in life now are, are seen in a new light. Yes, they are there, but c'est la vie. There's so many blessings to be experienced as we deal with the hard and difficult stuff. C.S. Lewis wrote, Pain insists upon... Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I believe Lewis was right. It seems like we humans are nearly always incapable at seeing the big picture and God's hand into our, in our lives until we are smack in the middle of a personal, in the midst of personal pain and suffering. Early on in my treatment, I remember reading a book about coping with cancer, and one of the chapters talks, talked about the importance of being thankful for the cancer, using 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 as a justification. That says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, let me say two things about this very loud and clear. First of all, I am not in any way thankful for my cancer. It's, in the, it's from the devil in my book, and I don't think I will ever be thankful for it. And secondly, it's really bad theology to read that verse that way. Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, and that's a critical difference between the two. Ben Witherington puts it like this. Verse 18 says that they should give thanks not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, which is a very different matter. 
No matter what the circumstances, whether it's persecution, sickness, etc., the Christian ought to be able to give thanks to God, not of course for the difficult circumstances, but for his salvation through Christ. And when he is able to do this, then he is also strengthened to endure what is difficult. And then just to add, when Paul says, for this is God's will for you, he's not talking about uh, referring to the circumstances as being God's will, but instead the rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. So I'm not thankful for my cancer, but I am so thankful for how God has used this horrible thing in my life to change me fundamentally from the ground up. I'm not the same person that I was on February 1st of this year. Well, I said earlier that I realized as I went through this that every day is a true blessing. And I guess I will, if I'm honest, I will say that's only partially true. Yes, one part of me savors each and every day now, but at the same time, there's another part of me that wants to fast forward my life until the chemo is over, until the decision concerning what happens next is over, and by the way, if I have surgery, can we just fast forward until after the recovery is over? Not only do I have a tendency to obsess over putting 2017 in the rearview mirror, but I do something within each chemo round as well. I find myself all the time, if I can just get through the first weekend, let me get this pump off me and, and start to get into the beginning of that first week. Or midway through the week when I'm still feeling kind of bad, let's just get through that first week and then hopefully that weekend I'll begin to feel more normal. I'm continually wanting to take to today to be done so I can get on to tomorrow. However, in my case, isn't this the most ironic perspective for me to have? I have a sickness that threatens to reduce decades of my life into mere years, unless I'm cured, and yet I seem so willing, perfectly willing to want to fast forward through several months of my life in spite of that fact. Am I really willing to squander life today in quest for some quote-unquote better life later this year? I have this back and forth going, a debate going on with myself, yearning to live each day to the fullest, except, of course, for those days I want to just be able to skip it. I'm reminded of, and you know I had to bring this up, bring in screw tape in this somehow, screw tape letters. So I'm reminded of a quote from screw tape letters in which a demon tempting a human writes, God does not want men to give the future their hearts, to place their treasure in it. We do. We want a man hag-ridden by the future haunted by visions of an imminent heaven or hell on earth, ready to break God's commands in the present, if so by doing we make him think he can attain one or avert the other. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to keep the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. Every temptation I have these days is to live in the future, but as C.S. Lewis reminds me, every message of Scripture is to live into in today, the present, because that's where we truly find God. I don't want to squander any 24-hour period of my life, wishing time away as if it were a commodity to be sold. That's one reason why Kim and I, uh, actually Kim did this, so I won't take any credit for it. She put a blessings jar on our mantle at the start of the, this mountain climb back in February. And most every day, we try to write something that we're thankful for, or grateful for, and drop it into the jar. And the more we do this, the more we remind ourselves that it's possible to experience bits of uh, true, full life, even when the day is filled with many dreams on our life. 
Endurance has been an operative word for me this year. We don't have to live too many years on this earth until we start to learn what it means to endure. Dictionary.com defines it as to suffer something painful or difficult patiently. And that patient's suffering may be due to a sickness or physical hardship like I'm going through. Maybe it's a, a broken relationship, spiritual loneliness, emotional abuse, or just really tough circumstances that we find ourselves in. Some people may need to figure out how to endure when they're very young, as they're growing up in a difficult situation, while others may be able to skirt through much of life without, before it ever really impacts them. The Jack's Mannequin uh, swim video that we started off this morning tugs at that human capacity to endure. That's why it seemed to resonate with me so much this year. He, part of the lyrics are, you got to swim, swim for your life, swim for the music that saves you. When you're not so sure you'll survive, you got to swim, swim when it hurts. The whole world is watching. You haven't come this far to fall off the earth. Oops. The currents will pull you away from your love. Just keep your head above. Before this cancer battle, I probably would have related the word endurance with my three cross-country uh, cross bicycle trips that I have done previous in my life. I think in particular, on day one in 2007, my boys and I were going from Escondido to Brawley, California. It was a 110-mile journey from the Pacific uh, coastal mountains deep into the heart of the Mojave Desert in California. I remember biking through what got up to be 118-degree heat in the middle of the day, being lulled to near oblivion uh, in the searing desert sun, drinking Gatorade nonstop, and doing everything impossible just to make it to that next mile marker down the road. Much of that battle that day was certainly physical, but there was also a fierce emotional battle inside that this was just the start of one of 25 long days that I was gonna have in the saddle. That finish line that I saw in my head seemed thousands of miles away on the other coast and impossibly hard to reach at that time. To endure chemo over these past five months reminds me of that time that I had to endure that California desert heat. But, and really in all frankness, it's much harder. There's little to psych myself up for. There's nothing romantic about that compared to trying to go cross country on a bike. Instead of simply enduring the constant monotony of a host of physical side effects that I don't even want to talk about this morning. Then there's the emotional side as well of, of enduring that 24-7 reality of having cancer. Now to be clear, the latter chemo, uh, chemo rounds are going noticeably better and more stable than the first few rounds, but it's still an ordeal. As I go through this, though, I'm discovering that endurance has little or nothing to do with emotion. I don't think it's possible to psych yourself up to endure anything more than a few minutes. Instead, to endure, as I was thinking about this week, I feel like it's this mysterious blend of God's grace, loving help from others, and our own gritty determination and hope. Now let me dive a little bit into that. First of all, God's grace. One of the things I struggled with a long time before this year was this, this sense of feeling close or intimate with God and how that has changed so much as I have gone through this. And I could easily spend a whole sermon just on that. The tougher the times have been this year, the deeper the sense of intimacy with Christ I have experienced time and time again along the way. I have felt him walking alongside me and suffering with me as I suffer. 
in ways that I guess I just, it's really hard for me to articulate that this morning. Besides that sense of intimacy, though, I've seen his grace in action in so many tangible ways. And again, this is one of these things where we could spend the whole time, as Kim and I were talking about a lot this week, and it was like, how did to, to crunch these in in just a couple minutes, how many blessings we've experienced along the way. But let me try to do just a couple. For the initial diagnosis, God had this somehow figured out a long time ago. See, 15 years ago, I had a chest x-ray in which my doctor discovered that I had histoplasmosis, or spots in my lungs uh, caused by fungus that you get from hiking in um, caves, from uh, bat caves, which I uh, did back in junior high. Well, fast forward to 2017, and when they discovered my tumor in my pancreas, they did a full chest scan to see if the cancer had spread beyond that area. And when, and when the doctors at UMass initially saw the spots on my lungs, they concluded that the cancer had spread, that's what it looked like on the scan, and that I had stage four cancer. But knowing the histoplasmosis diagnosis years ago, Kim called Haywood Hospital to try to track down those x-rays that were a long time ago. But they've been long since been destroyed. But we were able to get a report from them confirming that the nodules were exactly the same. Well, had we not discovered this years ago and not been able to confirm this, my entire treatment and prognosis would have been radically different and not in a good way. Treatment. Um, I don't know how to say other than just I feel like I've had the best medical staff possible through this whole thing. Um, another, other graces, just having Justice be able to come home and work at uh, uh, GPC this year when it looked very much like he'd be in California or Indiana. Having him here has been so invaluable for Kim and I and just a, a true blessing. Other things that we've just experienced, there's been multiple times during this process, especially early on, when just we just prayed for brief relief from the effects of the chemo. Especially, I think about Easter Sunday and just having a, a, the Sunday dinner and just be able to have some, uh, just a respite, a break from all this other stuff that I've been going through. And time and time again, when we prayed, I'd have these supernatural periods of near normalcy where it didn't make any sense to the rest of my week, but somehow time and time again. And I know that some of those kind of things sound sort of trivial in the grand scheme of things, and I guess they are, but, this, but at the time, they're big things. And uh, just seeing God answer those, those prayers was amazing. And then one, there's one, been one time during this whole process where we had to delay chemo a week because of low platelet counts that I had. But that just happened to be the one week that we had to be on vacation up in New Hampshire. And so it was a blessing to feel as close to normal as I felt through this whole process. And even this week, I was having a really tough start of the week physically. And just by... Uh, Kim, in fact, put a prayer request up on Facebook, and by the next day, everything turned around and in, in amazing ways. Now, God's grace is sufficient, continuing on here, but boy, does he bring help from others as part of this process. In fact, early on, I started using the term adultus simul, or for Latin for it, to the summit together, as a theme to describe the importance that this would play on my mountain climb. And I don't even know where to begin or explain how big of an impact that you all have had on me and my family this year, because I know I'm going to leave them some things out. But just so forgive me for that. But here are some things that I just really wanted to mention. 
the verses and quotes that put on carabiners uh, in my office, just see those every morning as I'm working and, and what an encouragement that is. The many cards of encouragement that I've had. The meals provided to us, especially early on when it was so critical. The balloons waiting for us each and every time when we get home from chemo on Fridays. Thanks, Alice. I think of Siraj, who I call my chief medical officer now, <laughs> who played such a critical and really life-changing role when all this got started. And again, I could talk a lot about that. Kim, Justy, and David coming with me almost every chemo treatment and spending the entire day at Beth Israel. In fact, last time I was checking in, uh, one of the check-in nurses that I really haven't interacted with asked me casually, she said, where, is, where was my team? And so I guess I'm known to have a team at Beth Israel. <laughs> to the prayers and the, and the deep friendships offered by you all, it's been such a key component in my ability to endure couple more I have to mention. Just David, how supportive and encouraging you've been in so many profound ways this year. And Kim and Justy, the incredible sacrifices they've made this year on a daily basis. It's impossible for me to, con to convey how much Kim has risen to the challenge through this each and every day on this journey. So there's God's grace and loving help from others. Finally, there is gritty determination and hope. In the end, I'm going to choose to suffer something painful patiently and with hope, or I'm not. But the great news of the New Testament is that we don't have to endure alone. To the believer in Christ, endurance is not just our personal will and self-determination. Instead, it's about being reliant and dependent on Christ every step of the way. Colossians 1.11 tells us of the hope that we can be strengthened with all power according to Christ Jesus' glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And the Apostle Paul reminds me, I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. That's quite a verse, and it's a tough one that I've been struggling to take in this past six months or five months. In all candor, I'm not sure how I can do this through him. I don't really have any idea on how to do that. But at the same time, I'm so encouraged and hopeful that I have a God who somehow knows that how I can do this through him. I'm going to trust in him through that. Well, 2017 has been a year of change for me. But change is hard. It makes me fear the uncertain and the unknown. It has made me mourn the loss of what I once had. It has forced me to come to terms with the reality of my own humanness. And so what's my natural response to change? I want to fight it. I want to return to normal. My normal. I somehow get this idea that my normal is something that's going to be permanent. And guess what? I end up getting slapped in the face the moment that when that normal changes. However, as I've gone further and further into this cancer battle, I'm realizing more and more that my ability to accept change is somehow very closely connected to my faith in Christ. When I simply trust in Christ for the day, I'm able to deal and accept the change. But when I trust in myself and my, try to cling to my own security, I end up having a hard time with anything going around me that uh, deals with change. And when I look at the Bible, it strikes me that one of the principal hallmarks of a person of faith 
is his or her willingness to accept and embrace the changes that God sets before them. In fact, you could spend a whole, do a whole study on that going through Scripture. Go from Abraham on through the disciples. Each of these great men of faith, great men and women of faith in the Bible, you will see that they have that consistent trait of being able to adapt to change and trusting God in the process. I may want the black and white certainty of normal, but the reality is that we all live in something that I call Graytown, this ambiguous place between God's providence, our self-will, and living in a fallen world that can be so unforgiving. Why would God do this to me? Why would he allow these changes, negative changes, to occur in my life? Why do I have to live in Graytown? Isn't the reason obvious? In fact, isn't it so obvious because it's right under my nose? Change and all the uncertainty and loss that goes along with it becomes the setting or the context for living out my faith. I don't need any faith at all to live in the black and white world of my normal. I have my security already set. But I need every ounce of faith I can muster to live in the uncertainties of Greytown. Well, it's July 16, 2017, and I really have no idea what awaits me this year, or next year, or next year. That's the reality in my new life. And as I see, speak this morning, I'm still in chemotherapy for another few weeks, getting close, and then in August, I do face a big why in the road. After evaluating my progress, will the doctors want to do surgery and fully remove the tumor, or will they opt not to do surgery let the tumor lay inactive inside of me and test me regularly going forward. In other words, there's two scenarios. One scenario is that I'm 100% cancer-free. There's another scenario that I'm going to be okay for a time, but we'll most likely have to go through this again, and maybe again. But the thing is, as much as this situation stinks, and I would love for it to be any, way, any other alternative, I am in a win-win situation, however it goes. Paul puts it best in Philippians 1. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. To live is Christ and die is gain. There's not been a more comforting, reassuring verse in all of Scripture this year for me than that. Gordon Fee talks about the Christian hope that is, that is at the root of Paul's statement there. Instead of empty promises or hollow wishes, he says hope is full of content in the same sense that it reflects the highest degree of certainty about the future. I love the way he describes that, that hope is this thing full of content. It's this dense, heavy thing. It's not just something lightweight or airy. But for the remaining years, no, let's say decades, let's say the decades I have more on this earth, I want to live for Christ, to love him, to, to love and serve others, and to walk alongside him. And decades from now, then I'll have the upside that, Christ, or that Paul ta talks about to look forward to. Well, let me wrap up. I started off this morning talking about how before I was diagnosed with cancer, I felt like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life when he was in the middle of his 
life crisis. However, if you know the story, you know that by the end of the film, George realizes what an amazing life he has. We all remember the happy ending that George has with his wife and family right at the end of the film. However, the thing when I was thinking about this was, it made me realize was, he realizes how wonderful his life is and how much he wants to live it, not when his problems were solved, but right when he was smack in the middle of a host of problems in his life. Let's watch. thankful and content even in the midst of hard times. And I'm learning to embrace each day, even when the circumstances stink. I have a wonderful life.